Well, good evening. <clears throat> My name is Jared Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and uh, we're going to actually get into the conversation you were just having uh, in a second about, you know, what, what do we do and how do we view uh, the money that God has entrusted to us. And as Mallory mentioned, we're actually in the second week of a three-part series uh, on, uh, it's called The Exchange. And, and really, we're asking this one simple question. How do you view and what do you do with the money that God has entrusted to you? How do you view and what do you do with the money that God has entrusted to you? However much or little or whatever it may be, what do you do with it? How do you view it? What would God want to say to us when it comes to our finances? Last week, we kicked off the series by really asking the question, whose is it ultimately? Whose money is this? And we talked about how ultimately, really, this is all a gift from God. And we looked at why giving is so important to us, because giving back to God reminds us that it's a gift from God. We talked about how lots of us, when the bucket is passed, maybe at church or in life in general, can tend to be grippers. You know, we hold on to our money as tight as we can, not realizing that it's actually our money who has a hold on us. Some of us are tippers. Like we feel good every now and then. We want to kind of throw God a solid and just kind of give him a couple bucks when the you know, bucket goes by. But what we talked about last week and the Bible teaches about us becoming givers, that we would actually give to God joyfully, faithfully over the course of our lifetime. That that's actually what God has invited us to do is to give back to him out of the goodness that he has already given to us. And so last week, if you missed it, I'd really encourage you to go online and kind of catch up to where we're at. Because last week we gave our whole church a big challenge. Maybe you were here for this. But for those of you who might have missed it, we gave our church a 90-day challenge. We said, look, here's the deal. We are so serious and we believe what the Bible teaches about giving back to God that we challenged our church for 90 days to faithfully and consistently go online and give to God and just see what happens? We call it the 90-day challenge. That's our original creative title that we came up with for our 90-day challenge. And so we said to our church, we want you to do this and take this seriously with God. You know what's so amazing? We gave people an opportunity to text into a number that would kind of get you started in the 90-day giving challenge. Do you know how many people in our church signed up for the 90-day giving challenge last week? 271 people from our church texted in last week and said, I want to see what God might do. So I know it's five o'clock and maybe you might not know. That's a big number. And so that's something you can clap about or cheer about or I absolutely do not believe you. And so here's what I'm going to do. Because I did not sense your enthusiasm on there, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that number even larger. If you missed it last week, or maybe you did it, but you've kind of forgotten to follow through with it, I want to put the number back on the screen. We're really serious about this. Operators are standing by. And so what I want you to do, and I'm really serious, I want you to, if you didn't do it last week, I want you to grab your phone. First thing you always do when you grab your phone in church is turn it to silent. And then what I want you to do is type in this number, 77. 948, I'm absolutely serious. Like, I, like phones, you can get them now. If you didn't do this or you forgot to follow through last week, it's okay. 77948, and you text one word 90 days, no space, just 90 days, and then your email. You can do it right now while I'm talking to you. It's okay to multitask right now. And go to text this number, 90 days, your email, and here's exactly what's gonna happen. We're going to withdraw $1,000 from your checking account <laughs> every week for the rest of your life till Jesus comes back. Here's the thing. We're actually, it actually does nothing other than remind you to do what you already want to do. All it does is we're going to just text you a link. Just going to text you a link to say, hey, here's where you can grab more information on the 90 day giving challenge. My hope is whether you heard last week's teaching or not, and after you hear what the teaching from the Bible that we're going to walk through here in a moment, that something would stir in your heart to say, I want to take God up on his offer. 
and see what happens if I joyfully, faithfully give to him over a period of time. And here's the deal. If after 90 days you haven't sensed God's presence and blessing in your life as you've been faithful to give back to him, then, then you can stop if you want. That's between you and God. That's really between you and God. We just want to help you start somewhere. And what I love is that we're really seeing God move in people's hearts and seeing people really take big steps forward. And we don't want it to be confusing. We don't want it to get kind of mixed up in messages here. And so we've decided over the course of this exchange series that we're actually not going to pass a bucket at church. We're not going to pass the bucket here because we don't want you to think, oh, I get it. This is all kind of a whole big thing to get me to give more to this church. Absolutely not at all. We want you to respond to God and give back to him. So we're not going to pass a bucket during this time. We're so serious about you going online and setting that up. We're not going to pass the bucket. Now, I know some of you really love the bucket. And like you came with your envelope and you had it nice and sealed and you're ready to go to give. That's phenomenal, actually. So we have baskets in the back. If you want to do that, when you leave, you can put it in the basket. No buckets, but baskets. And so you can do that and give in the back if you came ready to give. But we just want you to really hear from us, from the heart of this church and leadership of this church. We are so serious about you taking God up on this 90-day challenge, that we don't want anything to get in the way. And so if passing a bucket would feel weird to you in church while we're talking about money, then we're just not going to do it this week. We want you to go online and decide for yourself and determine if you're going to take God up on this 90-day challenge and see how he might shift and change how you view and what you do with what's been entrusted to you. Just see what happens over 90 days. You know, when I was a kid, Mallory asked a minute ago about allowance. Uh, I just want to see, by kind of show of hands, how many of you actually received an allowance from your parents growing up? Just if you can, because I didn't get to see this. If you raise your hand if you received an allowance. Okay, I want you to keep your hand up if your allowance was clear and consistent over the course of your childhood. Yes, so for the four of you, write your parents thank you notes tonight. They probably already taught you to do that too. So write them thank you notes and tell them they are awesome parents. My parents had great intentions, but lots of times it wasn't really consistent. You know, they'd kind of do an allowance for a while and sometimes it was this amount and then it's okay, well, if you do these chores, you'll get this amount. And so it's kind of inconsistent growing up. One of the things that they did do that was very inconsistent that surprised me is when I moved into high school from eighth grade into ninth grade, my parents let me know like a couple weeks before school started, hey, we're not buying your school clothes anymore. We're not paying for your school clothes anymore. This one's on you. And I felt like that was a shock to me. That was an injustice that needed to be righted. But there was nothing they were going to do with that. Like, you're on your own. So get a job or figure it out. Do whatever you got to do. So I very quickly became very familiar with the thrift store in my town. And in ninth grade, I had that going way before Macklemore. Like I was on that thrift shop, like nobody's business. Cause it was now all of a sudden my responsibility. I had to do something with my money if I wanted to wear cool clothes to school. And I'm like, I made it work from the thrift shop. I'm not going to lie to you. And so that was a big shift and a big change. Another thing my parents did, which is so kind of interesting is I thought back on it as I was preparing for this weekend is every summer I would go to a camp. There's a camp that I grew up going to in Northern California and beautiful place. And so my parents, every time I'd go away to camp, every summer would say, hey, we're going to give you your spending money. We'll give you some spending money and we're going to give it to you up front. And then that's it for the week. So it's all yours. That's it for the week. And so for me, like that first day of camp, I felt like a million bucks. My Velcro wallet was stacked. Like I, I'm like, camp is going to be good this year. But I mean, Every single year, what would end up happening was that, you know, I'd end up buying a lot of girls, a lot of ice cream, trying to buy their love, you know, and I'd even go in for two scoops, $1.50. I'm a high roller. That's how I roll. And 
I spent way too much money on candy. I mean, I had clearly no budget or no dietary restrictions at camp. And so I'd buy all kinds of candy. I'd pay for like boat rides to try and get the girls who I bought ice cream with to go out on a boat ride with me. Like I spend my money and this is inevitably what happened. First three days of camp, awesome. But that fourth day, I was broke. I had no more money and I still wanted to buy a camp sweatshirt and that was $40. That was not going to happen in my current financial situation. And so here's what I had to do. <laughs> I would go to the pay phone because back then you would put a quarter into a box and it would allow you to call someone. And so I would go to the pay phone and call my parents from camp and say, I'm out of money. I need money. Please send money. And I'd ask them to send more money by mail to camp. This was that, or stagecoach, because apparently it was that long ago that I was at camp. So I'd say, can you send me more money? And every time, their answer at least was very consistent. Every time I'd ask for more money, what do you think they said? Nope. We already gave it to you. We already gave you your money. What have you done with it? Oh, there's ice cream and fun dip. Like there was not a lot of good, if you follow the receipts, it did not lead to good places. And what I've learned about myself in, in that little uh, experience is something that I think is really true of, honestly, of all of us. It's just a, a, a truth of how we operate with God when it comes to our finances. Usually when it comes to God and our finances, we quickly go to God with our financial problems, but we rarely go to God with our financial plans. We quickly go to God with our financial problems. Oh God, I'm out of money. I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent this week. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this gas. I got to get this. God, how am I going to go on this vacation? God, I don't know how I'm going to make it all work. I got to pay off this debt. Oh God, I've got problems. And so we quickly go to God with our financial problems. And the good news is he's a God who loves us even in the midst of our problems and is there to extend his love for us. But rarely, rarely, do we go to God on the front end when our parents give us the money at the beginning of camp and say, God, would you speak into what I should do with what you've entrusted to me? God, will you give me a plan for my financial plans? God, what's the wisdom that you want to, to guide and guard and direct my life when it comes to my resources? We quickly go to God with our financial problems and thank God he hears us. But we rarely go to God with our financial plans. And the interesting thing about financial plans and kind of having a plan and living by one, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is how do we have a plan that's from God and live by it faithfully? The interesting thing about financial plans is simply this. I bet every single one of us plans to have a plan. We're good at planning to have a plan. I want to get on a plan. We're going to get on a budget. We're going to do it. This is the year. This is the year. January is the month. Nope. January passed. March. Okay. We're April. This summer is going to be the summer. It's a turnaround summer. Like we get so fired up about having a plan. We plan to have plans, but very rarely do people actually live on a plan. We, you see, we, we, we plan to save. I, 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 I want to save. I know I just kind of got to get these things sorted out. When I make a little bit more money, I plan to save for my future, but very rarely do people actually go to God and say, okay, God, what can I do today for tomorrow? What can I save today for tomorrow? We, we plan to give back to God. We have great plans to give back to God. And as soon as I kind of get out of debt, and as soon as I sort of get these things sorted out, I'm going to give to God. But really, how many of us really say, okay, God, I actually have a plan that leads to greater generosity in my life, to giving back to you as you have so faithfully given to me. So we're going to talk real honestly about how we can have God speak into our plans. And we're going to take our cue from a teaching in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament. So I'm going to ask you if you would, if you brought your Bible to open it up 
to Proverbs chapter six. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We've got you covered. There's a Bible in your seat back. You can go ahead and grab that. Hey, this is really big stuff. And so I would rather you at least see what the Bible has to say about this and determine for yourself whether you believe this is true and what you're going to do about what God says. Proverbs chapter six in the blue Bible is page 441. Why don't you grab a pen too? We're gonna take a few notes, circle a few things in your Bible. And I wanna let you know in advance, we're gonna be doing a little bit of math here in a minute. But it's the easiest math you've ever done. I just would want to know that in advance, so I'm letting you know that in advance. There will be math uh, on this test. So I want you to grab a pen and kind of be ready for that. Proverbs chapter 6. Let me give you a little context to how we come into the Bible. You know what's so interesting about the Bible is when it comes to God and money and us and our stuff, do you know that in the Bible there are 2,350 verses about money? 2,000. 350 verses about money, about possessions, about our stuff. There are verses about the power that money can have in our lives and over our lives. There are verses about how we can actually uh, use resources to actually hurt others or to flaunt our wealth before others or to oppress those who don't have as much as us. There are verses that talk about how our resources are really nothing more than a gift given to us first by God. And then there are verses that talk very practically. They are as practical as they are spiritual about how we can actually have a plan for the stuff that's been entrusted to us. And this is one of those passages. Proverbs 6 talks about, gives us a picture for what this looks like to really have God at the center and to come to God first and have him speak into our finances. And in this passage, we're going to look at a really tiny metaphor, perhaps the tiniest metaphor I've taught on a long time here at Soul City Church. We're going to look at a really small little metaphor, but how it can have tremendous transformational impact in our lives if we'll pay attention to what God has invited us into. So this is Proverbs chapter six. God gives us two contrasting images that we're going to work out together. Proverbs 6, 6, we'll start in verse six here. It says this, It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Okay, pause. Sluggard. God's just getting real. It's about to get real. God's getting real. Sluggard, maybe not a word you use every day, but hopefully after the sermon, one you'll use more. Sluggard actually means, in the original language that it was written in, it means, you bum. That's basically what it translates to. It says, go to the ant, you bum. Pay attention. We're going to see why God uses that word sluggard here in a moment. But it says, pay attention to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be what? Wise. Wise. Now, last week we talked about how powerful and possible it is for you to have more wisdom than wealth. To have wisdom, but maybe you're lacking wealth right now, you can have wisdom and lack wealth, and that's a powerful thing. But to have wealth and lack wisdom is a dangerous thing. Maybe you've seen that firsthand. And so God's saying, I want you to pay attention. I'm going to teach you a big lesson from a small thing. Pay attention to the ant, you bum. Look at them and be wise. Now here's why. Verse seven, it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Now again, this is a teeny tiny little ant. But God's saying, I want you to pay attention to this little ant because it lives off of a plan. It knows what to do without anyone telling it what to do. The ant has no boss, no life coach, no like self-help actualization motivation going on here. It's an ant, people. And yet it knows what to do. It knows exactly what to do. It knows that life operates 
best out of a plan, a rhythm of when it's time to gather, I gather. When it's time to store, I store. When it's time to leverage, I leverage. I can learn a lot from a little bitty ant. No matter what happens, that ant is always working. Question for you, have you ever seen an ant standing still? That's alive. Let me be really clear. No, because the re- they're always moving. E- like ants are always hustling. Every day it's hustling. <laughs> hustling. Hustling. Every day, rain or shine, that little ant is moving. It's living off of a plan. Whether you realize it or not, summer or winter, plenty or want, it knows now is the time because I don't know what's coming next. So I'm going to keep working this plan that has worked so far. If you ever think about it, I mean, an ant doesn't waste time. If we were to have our volunteers, our host team come forward right now and release thousands of ants in this room, it would be awesome to watch. (laughs) Terribly disgusting though. But if we released all these ants, do you know that by the end of the day today, they would somehow find food somewhere in this building? They would just figure it out. They'd find the crumb from your coffee cake that you brought in here and carry that off. They'd find the kitchen. You've seen this, right? You've left maybe a bag of trash overnight in the garage or over the course of a week while your wife was out of town. Maybe you've done that and you've seen that long line of ants that have come and found their way somehow even through the snow to your garage. Why? Because they're always hustling. They're always working. They're always working the plan. They're not sitting around wasting time wondering what they should do with their life. They're not sitting flipping through Instagram all afternoon going, oh, what's everyone else doing? They're not even in that like social network sphere. They're on something totally different called Instagram. That's for my son, you guys. I promised him I'd tell that joke. So that's for Elijah. All right. (laughs) You have to tell him it went over really well. Just lie to him and tell him it went over really well. All right, so you see, you get the point. God says, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention to the ant. No boss, no one to tell them what to do yet. You put them anywhere and they go to work. They put the plan to work. Anywhere. And they'll put the plan to work. Now that's very different from the sluggard that we're about to look at here in verse nine. God now speaks to the sluggard directly and says, how long will you lie there? You sluggard. You bum, how long will you lie there? When will you get up from your sleep? In other words, wake up, wake up. Don't you see? Wake up, can't you see? What are you waiting for? What, why are you putting this off? Wake up, how long will you sort of lie there and let life happen to you? Wake up, verse 10. This is the way of the sluggard. A little sleep, a little slumber, little nap here and there, little sports center, little Pinterest, not nothing wrong with those things. But what ends up happening is those become school, like ways for us to escape, tools for us to escape. And that's what we do, a little folding of the hands to rest, a little bit of like, you know what, tomorrow's fine. I don't, I don't, there's nothing I need to do to prepare for tomorrow. I'm going to be all right. And what does God say happens? And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Life has a way of breaking down the door of our supposed comfort and coming on in and all of a sudden life changes in an instant. Can change in an instant. Maybe you've experienced this. Everything's fine, everything's going great and then there's a loss of a job. Everything's going fine, everything's going great and then there's a diagnosis in your life or in your family's life. Now all of a sudden you find yourself caring for maybe an elderly parent 
or someone from your family is kind of brought into your home. And everything changes in an instant. See, life has a way of doing that, of breaking down the doors of our supposed comfort. And our whole scenario can change. And to the sluggard, this is devastating. Because they just thought, you know what, this is fine. It'll all work out. I'm not talking about worrying or fearing about tomorrow. We're going to talk about that next week. I'm talking about not doing anything today that can help prepare me for tomorrow. That's the way of the sluggard. You know, the thing about the sluggard is they are oftentimes very, very intentionful without ever being intentional. They're intentionful. They are full of good intentions. They have great plans to make a plan one day for the plan that they're going to have. They're really good at wishful thinking. They are full of intentions, but rarely intentional. Rarely willing to sort of do what it takes like a little tiny ant to figure out, God, how do you want to speak into my plans? God, what is it that you actually want to say? Because what the ant knows that the sluggard rarely realizes is that life has a way of crashing in on our supposed comfort. And things can change in an instant. And in fact, we live in a world that very, in a very real way actually has a plan already for your money, for your finances. I don't know if you ever thought about that before, but the reality of the world that we live in is everyone else actually has a plan for your finances. The question is, do you? Just think about that for a second. There are a ton of industries, companies, individuals who have a great plan for your finances. They know what they want to do with your money. The credit card industry built a business plan off of you not having a plan. Plain and simple. Again, it's not a bad thing. Credit cards aren't a bad thing. People at our church work for credit card companies. It's not a bad thing. Their whole plan, though, is that you won't have a plan. So they have a plan for your finances. They absolutely do. Think about it. They're, they're, this city has a plan for your finances. Oh, they have a wonderful plan for your finances. Think about it. You want to go in and buy a $4 coffee. Well, you have to pay $2 to park in front of the place that has the $4 coffee. But you decide, I'm not going to pay $2 to buy a $4 cup of coffee. And so you skip paying at the meter. And then what ends up happening is you get a ticket and you pay $81 for a parking ticket. Now you have an $85 cup of coffee. It better have been good. Because why? The city absolutely has a plan. They make, that's how this city keeps running, is they have a plan for your finance. It's called taxes. Not a bad thing, it's not a good thing, it's just a true thing of this world. They have a plan for your finances. Marketers have a plan. They have a wonderful plan for your finances. Retailers have a plan for your finances. Your landlord has a plan for your finances. Your lender has a plan for your finances. The question is, do you? Do you? The ant knows this is the world that we live in. Calamity can come crashing in at any moment to my comfort. There are other people all around me who have a plan for my finances. So what am I going to do to honor God with what's been entrusted to me? How do I move from being intentionful to actually being intentional and getting to work and putting a plan into motion in my life? And so for the next few moments, what I want to do is share with you a plan that was shared with me 20 years ago. I want, I want to share with you a plan that comes from brilliant, brilliant minds who've studied the Bible, who've kind of studied the way our world works and have boiled down to a very simple plan that can have big, powerful, transformational effect in your life. The plan I want to walk you through here in, in, in a moment, what's so great about it is it is completely scalable in that 
it can go with you through life as your finances grow or decrease. It's completely scalable no matter where you're at, no matter where you will be when it comes to your resources. The plan that we're going to look at works whether you're single, whether you're married, whether or not you have kids. In fact, what's so great is this is actually a plan that was taught to Jeannie and I by our premarital counselors, Dick and Sybil Towner. Oh, so many years ago, right at the end of the payphone, they taught us this very simple plan and we built our marriage on it. And in fact, we're teaching it to our kids. In fact, I brought with me the way that we have worked this out with our kids and it's really, really, really simple. And I asked their permission if I could bring in uh, the jars that we use in our house to teach them about God and how we can live on a plan when it comes to what God has entrusted to us. And Gigi, our, our daughter, said, didn't even think twice about it. She goes, whatever. I think sometimes she forgets that she even has money. She does not care about that stuff. She's going to heaven way ahead of all of us. So she doesn't even care about that stuff. Her brother Elijah, though, took great pause and said, I don't know how I feel about you actually taking my money in. So he pulled it all out and counted it all before I brought it in here today. So I don't know if that's a statement on me or on you. I don't know. But he eventually said, okay. And in fact, when I was telling him, okay, we're going to do this. I want to teach them about the jars. Elijah said, dad, I still have a ton of coins in my piggy bank upstairs. And I'm like, well, go get them. And so he comes down with two Ziploc bags full of coins. He goes, dad, can you give me dollars for these? I'm like, no, I don't want your coins, man. No, then I have to carry them around. He's like, well, where can we take them so I can get dollars for these? I want to put the dollars my jar. I'm like, okay, th there's a place, a magical place called Coinstar where you can go and <laughs> dump bags of coins in and then they'll give you dollars back. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. He's like, how much does it cost? What do they charge? <laughs> it's my eight-year-old. And I had to honestly admit, I don't know. I've never, I don't think they do charge you. He's like, we should check on the website. <laughs> this is a real conversation in the Stevens house. So I went to the Coinstar website and they charge you 10.9% to turn your coins into dollar bills. And my son looked at me and said, dad, that's a ripoff. <laughs> I go, you're right. He's like, I bet the bank does it for free. And he's right about that too. So <laughs> next week, Elijah is going to be teaching this talk next week. It's going to be phenomenal. So we brought the jars in and it's a really, really simple concept. You know what's so great about this concept that we're teaching our kids? Here's what's so great about it. Here's how generous the wisdom of God is. Listen, you don't even have to be a Christian tonight. You don't even have to say you're in a relationship with God to apply this principle to your life and see change brought to your life. That's how good and generous this is. That's why we teach it to our kids. So here's the way it works. It's called the 10-10-80 plan. 10-10-80. And it's three simple words. This is all you need to remember. The first word is give. A second word is save. And the third word is live. Give, save, live. It's the 10, 10, 80 plan. So we have jars set up for our kids so that every time they come into money or they get their little allowance for doing their responsibilities in the house, they have their give jar. This is Gigi's give jar. And the idea of the give jar is it should always be empty because she brings in her offering. He brings his little offering. They put their little quarter in their envelope and bring it into Soul City Kids. So hopefully the give jar is empty because they're consistently and joyfully and faithfully giving to God. What gets really fun with our kids is when they make it a competition about who can give more. They're pastor's kids, so give them a break. All right, so it's fun stuff. This is their save jar. This is the second one, 10, 10, 80. 10 to this, 10 to this. I'm gonna walk through this in a second. 
This is the save jar. And so they save up when they get birthday money allowance. They just save up a portion of what they've been given, what's been entrusted to them. There is a lot of money in the save jar. Gigi has a 50 in her save jar. So she's doing fantastic. This is the live jar. This is what they live off of week in, week out. They live very intense, demanding, complex lives. And so they have to have a live jar. And so this is if they want to buy some candy at the store, if they want to buy a book. Every time our kids buy a book, we pay for half of it for them. And so if they want to buy a book, they know they can pull that from their live jar to pay for things like that kind of week in, week out. So this is how we break it down in our family. This is how it works in real life. Imagine that you have $10 and maybe you've lived off of $10 before at some point in your life. It's called college. And so the first 10, here's what we say. Just imagine all of your money is $10, all right? To kind of think of it in percentages. The fir- I told you there's gonna be math. This is it. The first 10 goes to giving back to God. I give back to God and I don't mess with it. I don't try and talk myself out of it or talk him down. I don't negotiate with God about it. I don't look at all my resources and say, how am I looking this month? I don't know. I can maybe, God, can you break this? Can I get four quarters for this? It's, I say, nope, God, this first one, that goes to you. I give right off the top. As we talked about last week, I give my first and best back to God because he has always only given his best to me. So I give back to God because it reminds me that it's a gift from God and I do it first. Bible talks about this concept in the Old Testament. They use the word the tithe. Maybe you've heard of that word if you've grown up kind of in or around church. The tithe, it roughly translates to about a tenth. That's why we use the 10, 10, 80 plan. That's kind of the closest number you can land on based on kind of interpreting the scriptures and says, okay, it comes down to about a tenth. And so I bring a tenth, my first and best, and I just give it to God. And last week we talked about when we are faithful with the tithe, When we don't try and talk God out of it or kind of make excuses for ourselves and say, nope, my first and best, I'm going to lock that down. That goes to God no matter what. That's why we do it, Gene and I do it online, so we cannot talk ourselves out of it. It is set and secure and it happens and it's given us the ability to be able to actually increase it over the years. Say, God, this goes to you because we looked at Malachi 3.10 last week and it says this. God says, look, you be faithful to me in the tithe and just like, Put me to the test on this. Challenge me on this, God says. And see if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on your life, there will not be enough room to store it. God says, you test me on the tithe. You bring a portion, a percentage, your first and best back to me, not because God needs your money. He's not bullying you for your milk money every week. Believe me. He's not looking for your money. He's looking for your heart. And this is not for him. It's ultimately for you and for me. I give to God to remind myself that it's a gift from God. And so I say, God, my first and best ultimately goes to you. It's non-negotiable. Gene and I have always kind of held at 10% and then felt really led by God a couple years ago when we started this church, when we had very, very, very little to say, God, our hope and our plan, we talked about this last week, is to increase what we give every year to you so that, God, eventually we are actually giving more to you than we're living on ourselves. That's the plan that we're on every year, to increase our percentage. So we started at 10, and we've been adding to that every year. And maybe that's where you need to start. God, I want to start. Bible teaches about the tithe. I want to start with 10%. Maybe you look and you go, okay, yeah, I want to get there. Reality is it's kind of a mess in here. 
And I can't start with 10, but I can start with eight or I can start with six. And again, I, that's, that's between you and God. You can go straight to soulcitychurch.com, go to our giving page. We've even kind of laid it out. Here's kind of what it looks like for you to kind of pick a percentage and say, God, I'm going to be faithful to this. If only even for 90 days, I'm going to do, God, what you've challenged me and invited me to do. First 10 goes to God. Second 10, non-negotiable, goes to saving. First goes to God, second goes to saving. That's for future Jarrett. Okay, that's for me going, this is for later. This is not for now. And I'm not gonna budge on this one either. Why? Because as we learn from the ant, we learn from the sluggard, life has a way of kind of crashing in on us. And so I wanna be responsible today so that I can respond to God tomorrow. So that I can respond to life tomorrow, not react as things come and feel out of control, but say, no, God, I've been faithful to put this away so that we can either see these dreams that we have for our life realized or so that we can respond to the realities that we might not have otherwise planned for. I have put this away. I've saved this percentage faithfully, God, for tomorrow. I did today what I would enjoy, actually, tomorrow. See, what saving does for me, and I'm not, I'm cheap, but I'm not a saver. I, I'm notoriously cheap. Remember, I started in the thrift shop. That's, I'm notoriously cheap. But I'm not naturally a saver. And what this principle has taught me is to no longer put my faith in today or live in fear of tomorrow. I say, God, I, I believe I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna do my part. You do your part, God. I don't have to put my faith in, maybe it's going awesome. Maybe it's spring, summer right now and it feels fantastic. God, I'm not gonna put my faith in the circumstances of today. Maybe it's terrible season right now. It's very hard. God, I don't believe this is gonna last forever. I don't put my faith in my circumstances today and I don't live in fear of tomorrow. I'm gonna faithfully give to you and I'm gonna save for my future. That's the first 10, that's the second 10. And then what's left, if you do the math, how much is left over? <laughs> 80. See, I told you there'd be math and half of you got it right. That's great. 80 is what's left over. And here's the fun part. This is what you live off of. I give the first to God. I save the second for later. And then I live off of the rest. This is where life happens. This is where rent is paid from. This is where school is paid from. This is where the clothing allotments come from. This is where food and groceries come from. This is where the parking ticket line item comes from. It all comes from here. Again, we go to the ant and we see that there's sort of this uh, plan in motion at all times. Having a plan and sticking to it on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. It does not sound like fun on the surface, but neither does being in debt for the rest of your life, does it? So I say, God, I want to give the first to you. I want to save the second for later, and then I'm going to live wisely off of the rest. I'm going to God, pick a plan. I'm going to ask you to speak into my plans. What's your plan for my plans so that I can live responsibly and generously for the rest of my life? And maybe for you, what it means is there's so much debt. There's so much debt in your life right now, maybe from school or from credit cards or a divorce or whatever it is that happened. And you go, okay, I, what it would it look like for me instead of just living on 80, can I live on 60%? Can I live on six of these? And every month, no matter what, this goes to debt. I'm going to pay that thing down so it's no longer a burden in my life so that I can actually experience the freedom that God longs for me to have and not live in fear any longer of my finances and of this debt. Maybe for you it means I'm going to live on six of these or five of these and the rest I'm going to put down this debt once and for all so that it doesn't have a voice in my life and my decisions. Because remember, everyone and everything else has a plan for your finances. The question is, do you? Will you? What's the plan that you are committing yourself to? Now, look, I know for some of you, 
I know for some of you, like, this kind of stuff of thinking this sort of way in boxes and categories, 10, 10, 80, you love this stuff. Like, you think, in, you think in categories. You think and you kind of break life down that way. You've got your envelopes all lined up, and I have $7 for lunch this week, and I have $2 for gas, and if I run out of that, then we're walking. You love kind of having everything categorized like that. Like, you see the world through an Excel spreadsheet, and it looks beautiful to you. That's fantastic. Praise God that that's how you're wired. Some people aren't like you, though. And so to those of you who might fall in the latter camp, I want to offer you something. Our church actually wants to offer you something that is, I think, a real gift to you and a real help. Every, a couple times every year, we offer a budget boot camp where we say, look, we want to help you get free so you no longer have to live in fear of your finances. We want to increase your wisdom regardless of what your wealth is. And so in two weeks, we are actually offering our budget boot camp on March 29th. March 29th, here at the church, we're offering our budget boot camp. And you can go right online today to Soul City Church to sign up for that. My hunch is by the end of the day today, it is honestly going to fill up. And so if you kind of are looking at your finances and going, I don't know that I have wisdom and maybe I have wealth or I don't have wealth, but I know I lack wisdom, this is a great next step for you. Hey, if you grew up in a family where you never had a plan, you never talked about money, this is a great next step for you. Your homework this week is to get yourself to the budget boot camp. Do whatever you got to do to get there. I'm telling you, it is transformational truth that can have huge impact on your life today and on your future. Maybe you kind of have pretty good things. Things are going pretty well in your finances, but it wouldn't hurt for you to kind of get a refresher, to brush it up, to be sharpened and challenged, to seek even greater wisdom from God and what to do with what he's actually entrusted to you. And so I want to give you a picture of what it looks like for real folk that have decided, you know what, we're going to live on a plan, a, a give, save, live kind of plan. We're going to commit ourselves to it and we're going to commit our resources to God. And I'm really, really thrilled to uh, introduce to you and to bring up on the stage Jeremiah and Tamara Durbin. So can we welcome them as they walk up on the stage tonight? Hey, y'all. What's on? happening? What's happening? Okay, so Jeremiah and Tamara, you guys have been here at Soul City Church. How? Three years in around Easter. Three years around this Easter. So that's pretty almost from the very beginning. And they serve in a number of uh, different roles. You've maybe seen Jeremiah made the long walk from the keyboard over to here right now. Jeremiah sings and plays keys and has been a huge leader in our worship collective. An amazing, amazing guy. And Tamara is on our stewardship team, the team of volunteers that really guides and guards the finances of our church. And Tamara actually is who's put together and made our budget boot camp. Uh, so amazing. So this is a shameless plug. We called Tamara in. So if you didn't feel it enough for me, get ready. You're about to hear it from Tammy. All right. So uh, we love these guys and their son Cannon's a part of Soul City Kids. Okay. So enough about you guys. You're great. How, uh, but I, I know, cause I know each of your stories. I think it'd be good for, for everyone to hear the families you grew up in. How did y'all talk about money? Was there a plan? Did you talk about money? What did it look like for each of you in the families that you grew up in? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Well, I'm, yeah, because I emailed it to you earlier, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, we didn't necessarily talk about money. Um, one thing, nor did she, I come from a single family home. She didn't necessarily have a plan for us. One thing she did and still the important was giving. So mm. tithing uh, was very important. If you had nothing else, she did always um, express the value of tithing. And I'm assuming she had some type of plan because she always had money to give to special projects for church or help friends and families out. Mm -hmm. um, so she never set me down to explain the plan, but hmm. 
There was some kind there of plan going, going on, on somewhere. Behind the scenes. <laughs> behind the scenes. What about you, Tammy? What I would say is, um, like Jeremiah said, um, I grew up in a single parent home, um, and I don't think my mom had a plan. Her plan was to keep shelter, keep mm-hmm. me, um, you know, in school and provide for the family. Um, and I believe that we did live paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, we never talked about a budget. But like Jeremiah, my mom was a, a huge giver. Um, so from the household that I grew up in, um, I learned from an early age that you gave a percentage. And I learned mm-hmm. about the 10% of mm-hmm. whatever you brought in, you always gave that back to God. Hmm. So, okay, so you guys kind of grew up with the giving thing, but not necessarily the saving, saving or living thing or how all that works. So what was the big shift for you guys? I know kind of coming together when you guys got married, you had to have some real talks about how things work. What was the big shift for you guys? What did it look like? I would say, first of all, when Jared was talking about the person that's the spreadsheet person, that's how I've been wired. Envelopes. My, envelopes. My background is accounting. Once so. envelopes are empty, we're walking. <laughs> that's right, we're walking. <laughs> so that, that's how I'm wired. I'm wired with, you know, knowing what we have. And basically, because of my upbringing and knowing that we live paycheck to paycheck, yeah. I didn't want to live that way. Yeah. I didn't want to not have enough money to pay the light bills, to pay the rent. I always wanted to give, but the saving part probably was the part I had to incorporate and learn how to save. But I would say that I had mentors that showed me not only with um, verbally, but with their lifestyle Hmm. that if you save, like Jared was talking about, things happen in life, and they always, whatever happened in their lives, they always have money to take care of it, but it was because they were savers. Hmm. So they kind of did that. Mm-hmm. I know you, Jeremiah kind of came in, you, all, you have a nickname for him, he kind of came into the marriage with a different mindset towards money than you. Right, so when he talks about me being, you know, you know, the spreadsheet person and envelope person, my nickname for Jeremiah has been Sir Spend-A-Lot because he likes That's to... That's what's up. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> Sir Spend-A-Lot. Yeah. He likes to say, well, just, just, shoes. He doesn't want to know about the, shoes, the... He doesn't want to know about the spreadsheet. He just wants to know, just tell me how much I have. Just tell me how much I have. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it. And so, I mean, for, for you guys, how... That, so that was a big shift. You had to come together and say, okay, let's get real about this. And I know... I mean, because I've been with you guys for the last couple of years, having a plan carried you guys through a very unexpected season. Can you all talk about that for a minute, about kind of what happened for a, a while there where you were down significantly in income and all that kind of stuff? Why don't you give everyone a snapshot of kind of what happened there? Well, um, Jeremiah um, suddenly lost his job. As we talked about, things happen, life happens. Mm. And before Jeremiah had lost his job, we had come up with a plan. I'm always coming up with a plan. Um, and the thing about it, I will say this, you know, those that are thinking about coming to the budget boot camp, the thing about having a plan, and even what, you know, Jared talked about today, it's not a, something that's going to happen overnight. You know, no. you're going to get a plan. Things are going to happen. The plan shifts. And we talked about that in the budget. We talk about that in the budget boot camp, how every month you come up with a plan. You look at your finances and see what's, how your money is going to be allocated every month. Mm-hmm. And so prior to Jeremiah losing his job, we had decided we we're really going to aggressively pay down our student loan debt because that's the huge debt that we have. Yeah. And us coming up with the plan and asking God to really speak into our finances actually set us up to be prepared for Mm. when Jeremiah actually lost his job because right before he lost his job, we had done some downsizing of things to make sure our budget was freed up to actually pay down debt. So Mm. when those things in life happened, we were prepared and able to handle them. And what I loved watching from the two of you, and you've shared this, is all the way through, even though you were down to, you kind of prepared yourself to live off of one salary, and then you had to Mm -hmm. live off of one salary, but you guys didn't stop giving, you didn't stop working the plan. I mean, that to you, that was kind of a non-negotiable for you guys. 
And I'd, I would, I'd love to just hear from you guys, how have you seen God grow you because of this? Like your commitment to doing your part as God is faithfully always doing his part. How has God grown you? How has he kind of shaped your marriage, your family? Like how have you grown because of your commitment to work on a plan? I think just um, the obedience. So when you hear um, like a message like this or when you kind of tug at your heart or gives you ideas to downsize or to cut back, just the obedience in doing that because you never know what's down the line. He knows what's the hardships is around the corner or the opportunities that will come. So you, you always mm -hmm. want to be prepared for that. So when he listens, respond yeah. no matter what. Can we thank these guys? They're such a huge part of our church. Thank you. Good job, Tammy. Thanks for showing up. I appreciate it. Hey, listen, I, and I think what Tamara said is so right. You can hear about their story, and boy, we just kind of brushed over the service. I mean, they, it is for real. They have been faithful to God, even in really difficult uh, financial realities. And what's been so true is it's not like y'all didn't win the lottery at some point and cover everything, right? No, I mean, what it was was, God, we're going to be faithful and trust that you're going to be faithful. We're going to do our part. We're going to give God. We're going to save. We're going to live wisely and responsibly and generously. And trust God that you are going to provide for us and always God provide us with the next step, the next step. And that's what happens. It doesn't happen overnight. The kind of life that you can live where you can respond to God more freely and fully doesn't happen instantaneously. Like a, like a, life, like a lifetime of generosity or lifestyle of generosity is actually built on daily responsibility. To, to live a life where you can respond to God freely and fully with your finances, that kind of life of generosity is really built day in, day out, saying, okay, God, speak into this. God, speak into this. God, I'm going to come to you with these financial problems, but God, I'm not just going to come with that. I want you to speak into my financial plans. Will you shape my plans with your plan for my life? That's why I love the, the budget boot camp. I'm so glad we offer this, Tamara, to folks to say, like, we just want our church to be freed up, y'all. We want you to be freed up and not live in fear. And the thing about that's so great about the budget boot camp is you can come right where you're at. You walk in, listen, you walk in with a pile and you can walk out with a plan. You can walk in with a pile of receipts and go, uh, like, I don't know how I got here. Or, here's my pile. Here's kind of my money. I don't know what to do with it. You can walk out with a plan. A plan that's based on the teachings from the Bible, but it's re like a real world practical plan that you can actually put into play today and then continue to adjust and have it grow with you as you go through life. It is such a gift, and I don't want you to miss it. I, you may be in your early 20s, and it's like, okay, you're kind of maybe at the front end of your career, and you may have some, you may have little, you may have a lot. I don't know. What a great time for you to say, you know what, kind of before the rest of life comes, I want to put a plan together. I'm going to live by it. I'm going to live off of it no matter what. I want to have a plan. And for those of us who are past our 20s and have faced the realities of life as it comes, uh, you know how significant, how, how helpful it would have been maybe if you would have heard this and applied this truth to your life early on. And maybe you're in your 40s, 50s, maybe you're later on. I was talking to a guy a couple weeks ago at our church. He's 10 years away from retirement. And with just such regret in his eyes, he said, I have nothing to show for it. I have nothing to show for it. Went through a couple different job things, divorce, life happens. And he's having to say, okay, God, will you help me rebuild the pieces? And even later on in life, he's starting from square one and saying, okay, God, I want to put you at the center. I want to come to you first. 
That's the invitation, the opportunity we have with something like the budget boot camp, like the 90-day challenges for you to say, okay, God, I'm in. I'm going to open up my books. And I'm going to open up my heart. And so what we're going to do right now is actually take a moment to respond to God. But I want to give us an opportunity to even say that, God, I want to open myself up to you, open up my heart, I want to open up the books of my life and allow you to speak. And I'm going to come to you first, God, and have you speak your plan into my plans. And God, I know you hear my problems, but I want you to speak into my plans as well. So I'm going to have you stand up. We're just going to sing one more song. I'm going to have you stand up, though, if you would right now. And open your hands up and actually hold them out in front of you. You've done this before at Soul City Church. It's kind of a posture we take of prayer where we literally open up our hands. I encourage you to do this if you're open to doing so. And say, okay, God, I don't want to hold on or grip my stuff anymore, God. Because I know the truth is it's really my stuff that has a grip on me. So I want to open up, God, to you. God, I don't want to just sort of plan to have a plan. I'm opening up, God, for you to speak in. And I'm going to, as Jeremiah said, when you speak, God, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take you up. I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going to listen. I'm going to follow. I'm going to obey. Maybe you thought you had to kind of hide your finances from God or you can kind of fudge the numbers with God. Listen, he already sees. He knows everything. He sees right into your heart. And here's the good news. He loves you. He sees it all. He sees it all, even all the ways you've tried to convince yourself, rationalize and justify, whatever it is. He knows, and he still loves me. And he still loves you. And he's made himself available to you, his love, his grace, his wisdom for your life. And so I'm gonna ask you to keep your hands open if you would, and I wanna pray over us, and then we're gonna respond to God's goodness and sing to him one last song. God, thank you for your goodness. Oh, your God. I think I'm so often blinded by my problems that I fail to see your goodness and provision in my life. God, thank you for your wisdom. It is so good and generous that we don't even have to know you yet to know that we can put this to work in our lives and it will have effect on our lives. And God, what I believe is true is it will actually draw us even closer to you. God, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you, God, for your freedom that comes from forgiveness, that comes from, God, life in relationship with you. Thank you for the freedom that comes with you, that we don't have to live in fear with our finances, but we can come fully to you and trust you, live open-handedly with our hearts, with our lives, even with our finances, God. God, I pray today, we've talked very practically, but God, I know this is just as spiritual as it is practical. God, you want you want to free up our hearts. You want us to pay attention to small things like ants. You want us to learn simple lessons like a 10, 10, 80. God, small, simple things can have huge impact, huge effect on our lives. So God, for the little things and for the big things that you've spoken into tonight, we say, God, have your way. We open ourselves up to you, God. Have your way. We want to put you to the test, God. We want to see your goodness on display. So God, we come to you now, we respond to you now because of your goodness, declaring your goodness. And it's in your name that we pray and that we sing and respond to you. Amen.